Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This week, we've got our friend Marshman with us. Sasha's here as well. And we're going to be playing Game Boy. No, we're going to actually build an Odroid Go. It is Game Boy. It is Game Gear. It's Game Boy Color, all in a DIY, kind of similar to Game Boy layout. Uh, we're going to be building one ourselves tonight. Stick around. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And... The International Association of Internet Broadcasters, cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, everybody. So nice to have you. I'm Robbie. I'm Sasha. And I'm not Jeff. (laughs) Uh, Marshman. Do we call you Marshman? Bill? Call me Bill. Bill? Bill Marshman from our chat room made the trek up from New York tonight and uh, is here with us tonight. So nice to have you here. Thank you. Good to see you, my man. And uh, you all know Marshman from uh, from Discord and from our chat and the community. And uh, he's a been a yeah Nems Linux. Play with Nems. You you've been a fan of the show for how long now? Almost a year. Almost a year. Almost exactly a year. So can you tell us a little bit about how you discovered Category 5 TV? What, uh, what's the backstory there? It was, uh, it was Admin Magazine. You, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was playing around with Nagios. Okay. And uh, you did the article on NEMS. I didn't do the article on NEMS. It was oh, that's right. right. The article was NEMS about Linux. you. It was yeah. About, and they had the bald nerd site. And yeah. I, I went on the site. <laughs> and then... I just downloaded Who is everything. this bald nerd? He Who says, is this and, guy? And now a year later. And I doubted, downloaded 300,000 gigs worth of uh, shows. It was great. Fantastic. Speaking of downloading gigs and gigs and gigs of shows, um, season 11 of Category 5 Technology TV is now available as a free download by BitTorrent. Yay. You can head on over to torrent.category5.tv. Got a couple of seeds and growing. That's a really cool way that you can support mm-hmm. Category 5 too, um, as far as um, promoting it to the community community and allowing people to receive it for free. I think one of the cool things about uh, becoming a BitTorrent seed is simply that you're sharing Category 5 with, uh, with so many people. So anyone who wants to download Category 5 TV, we give it to you for free. And those seeds make it possible for us to do that um, from an economical standpoint. So very cool. So that's available at torrent.category5.tv. And yeah, I, w- I will start that download when I get home to add it to Fantastic. my HC1. You've got a really cool setup because the HC1 being the Odroid ho- Home Cloud 1, I right. believe it stands for, right? Right. So this is a little XU4 circuit board. With it's a, just it's a, it's a stripped-down XU4. It doesn't even have video no output. graphics. Yeah, yeah, nothing. It's just straight, um, like, 8-core CPU. Yep. It's got 2 gigs of RAM, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. And what's the best thing about this thing? It's... That there's no power usage. I, I, yeah. I decommissioned a full-blown server, so it has a one terabyte SSD in there, and I just got the whole little thing nice. in a package this big with a yeah. small power pack instead of a 150 or 300-watt power supply. 
depending on what I, what I got rid of. Really? I can't remember what I got rid of. Yeah, whatever it was, it was using a lot more power. Uh, absolutely. I love this thing because you plug an SSD directly into the SBC, so it actually has uh, the SATA mm-hmm. controller built in, so mm-hmm. you don't have to... You don't have to mash anything up. It's basically a, a NAS unit that you can install Linux on. You can do whatever you want with it. So, um, so you're using that as a BitTorrent yes. seed. Very cool. That's a good yep. idea. I think I should do the same. Maybe Distribute these things all over the that's place. That's right. There you go. Those things are cool, though. Um, any other uses that you can think of for, for that? I think as a NAS unit, it might be a good, uh, a good device as well. Well, I have the... Uh I have the big one, the home cloud too. That's where I. That's my file server. I don't have a big file server. So that's server. got a spinning hard drive. That's got that's two three? spinning hard drives. Two. Yeah. It's, How does that work? It's, it's, you just set it up as a striping unit. So you have two two copies, and then I put. And then I have another. But doesn't it only have one SATA um, backplane? No. no, there's two in there. And then I have it put pushed to a, an external right underneath it. Not on an HC two. What's the one? Is it a my cluster? Is that the one? No. On an HC two, you've got two backplates. I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm making him doubt himself. Oh. Like, no, that's cool. watch Discord. In the next forty-eight hours, we'll see if I'm right or Robbie's right. One of the things that I've done with an HC1 is take the um, data off of the SD card and move it onto the SSD. Right. And then modify the boot.ini file. I know we're, I'm geeking out right now. But made it so that all of the files, all the operating system, all of the programs, everything is on the SSD. And the only thing that it uses the SD card for is the boot. So right. then everything mm. is on this SSD. So if your SD card fails, which is the most likely thing that's going to fail on one of these things, Absolutely. you just pull it out, reflash onto a right. new card, and re-edit the boot.ini mm-hmm. file. It's brilliant. So that works really, really well. Um, if you are um, a patron of Category 5 TV, I just want to say thanks for supporting Category 5 Technology TV. We love doing what we do. We're in Season 12, and uh, we love being able to provide this uh, broadcast for you for free. And it's our patrons that um, largely are able to help us to do that. And so you can find out more at cat5.tv slash Patreon. Uh, and uh, that's just a really cool way that you can support Category 5 Technology TV. Thank you, everybody. Um, I guess that's all the house cleaning that we need to do I today. I eh? think so. Check Great. off the list. Bill. Yes. Bill. Do you want to take Bill's comment? I'll Bill? take Bill's. We have a viewer question. Fantastic. From Huntsville, Alabama. This comes to us from yes, Bill, Bill, Bur- Bill Burling game from Huntsville, Alabama. I recently did a new build. It includes a Ryzen 7 2700X CPU. 32 gigabytes of RAM, a Samsung 960 nice. EVO series, 500 gigabyte NVMe drive, and Windows 10. This is a fast system. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were talking about this yesterday, and we're like, I wonder what he's got. There you go. It's fast. Yeah. Uh, as a retiree, I'm not a heavy Office user. I tried to install my old copy of MF Office, and it said I had exceeded the number of installs allowed. Mm. Since it was EOL product... I couldn't delete old installs from the MS database. I decided to install LibreOffice version 6.1.2.1 x64. The problem I have 
is that it takes nearly 20 seconds to load. I've looked at the forums and haven't found a way to speed up the time it takes to load. I see others also have the problem. Is this something you could address on your is podcast? That ever weird. On a system with 32 gigs of RAM and right. NVMe to boot. Exactly. Wow. Because I have it on my I have it on my Debian laptop right here. Yep. Uh, I have eight gigs of RAM. It does have an SSD. It has a Kingston SSD, mm-hmm. and uh, it boots up in about two and a half seconds. It mm. loads loads LibreOffice in you're two and running, a half seconds. And you're running a flavor of Linux. I'm running Debian Stretch. Now we're going to make the assumption that uh, Bill, our Berlin game, yes, yeah, <laughs> is is probably using Microsoft Windows right. yeah. because we're trying MS Office first. Right. right. So I'm going to make that assumption. And my laptop, in fact, has Windows 10 on it. So any ideas, Bill? Um, okay, so let's, let's see if I can switch over to my laptop here so that you guys can see it. Any thoughts on this one, Bill? Now, I've got 6.1 installed, so LibreOffice. So again, somebody who's trying the free alternative to Microsoft Office because of a bad situation where it's EOL or end of life. Right. So you can't call Microsoft and activate it. You can't have them. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, this is where, you know, key gens, which are technically, you know... Shady. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's where it's it's like, oh, man, I paid for this product. Maybe that's an option. But why is it not running fast on, on your system? Let's try it. On, so I'm on Windows 10 on my little laptop, which we know is not very great, and it loads practically instantly. Um, the one thing that I would check is whether or not I have LibreOffice Quick Start running. And I don't. I don't see a LibreOffice Quick Start icon there. So I can bring up, I can bring up any uh, LibreOffice program and hit Tools, Options, General. And it has Load LibreOffice during System Startup. If I hit OK on that, and just so you're aware what version I'm using here... Uh, this is 6.1.2.1, so it's a match. Yep. So now if I close that and we bring up de- our tray, oh, I haven't rebooted, so I'm not going to see it. So I can force it to load right now by going into my C drive and into Program Files, LibreOffice, Program, and then just do a quick, I just typed QU, and uh, there it is, Quick Start. So I'm going to double-click on that, and it won't appear to have done anything, but down here you see that it has, in fact, started, and that should make things a little faster. Now, if I right-click on that, you'll see that Load LibreOffice during System Startup is checked, and that's because I set that in the options under Mm -hmm. General. Um, If you don't want to go that route, you can open it just like I did with um, Program Files, LibreOffice, and then right-click on it once you've opened it and choose load uh, during system startup. Whether or not that'll make a difference, so let's try a text document. It's, that's even quicker. You could tell that that was quicker. That was instant. Yeah, and it's strange because I, I did load it on my, my Windows 10 tablet yeah. last night. Mm-hmm. And a tablet. A tablet, mm-hmm. and it came right on. Yeah. Two, two three seconds. So what could it be? Yeah. Because not only is Bill having the problem, but he says that others have had the problem as well. So you found other people of yeah. like issue yeah. in the forums. On my computer, though, like now that the quick, loader, uh, quick starter is open, 
if I click on text document, it, like, do you guys get the sense of how instantaneous that is? I'm going to count down from three. So three, two, one, click. So it's very, very quick now. Huh. No delay whatsoever. If I do it from I the, wouldn't be fast enough to start the stopwatch. Yeah. So that's that does make a difference on mine, a, mm-hmm. a marked difference. Although mine didn't seem slow in the first place, but it is very much faster now. I'd suggest that you try that, Bill. Any other suggestions or mm-hmm. anything else that you can think of? I think Quick Start is the first place I would look. And absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, some of the forums and some of the uh, if you did a Google search, they they give you advice on older versions of LibreOffice. Oh, and it yeah, it's it tells you to go to tools options memory which doesn't exist anymore oh okay it was deprecated in 5.4 i believe or something like that right well if and and so maybe they move things around so maybe it's important just to make that mental note that you can go into c colon slash program files slash LibreOffice slash software slash (laughs) quick start and run that program it'll load it into the tray right click on it and go load it start up and then make that mental note yeah you got that (laughs) <laughs> Locked in. <laughs> I hope that helps. Bill, please let us know if that makes any difference. But your computer sounds amazing. Um, sounds like um, you should not be experiencing that issue. Not at all. Not at all. So let us know, all right? Uh, we do have to take a really quick break. And when we come back, Bill's going to be helping me test a little electronic device for my workbench. <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> For a limited time, get your hands on limited edition shirts from the Category 5 TV network. These high-quality shirts are manufactured by Teespring, a fundraising website, and your purchase will help support the shows we produce. Get yours today and send us your pictures to be featured on the corresponding show. Visit cat5.tv shirts to support us and get your official network shirt today. cat5.tv shirts. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Now, one of the things that I dream of having, and and Bill, we've had this discussion because you've got a great setup at home. Mm -hmm. I'd love to have a workbench where all of my tools for soldering and setup and SPCs and everything is all in one place. Mm -hmm. And something that I've run into with the growing number of single board computers that I have is the inability to power all of them. Right. It's always an issue. So I started looking at DC power supplies that you can get for your workbench because these things have so much amperage, so much wattage that you could plug 20 Raspberry Pis into the thing and and it'll power everything if you've got the right voltage. Um, But getting on to, say, something like Amazon... Uh, here I am on Amazon Canada, and I can see the price is about $120 for an entry-level one. Now, there are some cheap ones. Well, there's some really cheap ones. But generally speaking, a good one I'm finding are going to be $200 to $400 for, for a really good one. Um, and you want a good certainly, one. Yeah, and you do want a good one. Now, yeah. I also noticed like this one here that's $306. It's got multiple different voltages output, so you can have different... Like I have some 12-volt computers, some 
five volt systems right. and sometimes I'm doing some other things. And so something like that would be great. Whereas some of the cheaper ones only have a single output. So you'd set the voltage and it's going to be that voltage for everything. Right. Right. So 200 bucks, whatever. What if I could do it for $10? Just, just putting that out there. Yeah. What if I could do it for $10? Okay. Do you believe it's possible? Is it not going to be like one of those fake SD cards, is it? No, I hope not. <laughs> That's why you've got your voltmeter, because we're going to find out right. if it's fake or if it's legit going Alrighty. to do this for. So how are we going to do this? What's one thing that I, that I have too many of laying around my garage? Computer power supplies. Yeah. Yeah. How many of us have a couple of extra power supplies pulled from old computers? And if you don't have, you can easily, I mean, pop by a local computer shop that does refurbishing or whatever, and they probably have a couple sitting in a box that you can have for five bucks or something. I don't know. But I, I have tons of them laying around. So, Bill, here, here's my latest pull. So I pulled this one out of an old computer here at the studio, and I think it's still good. It's got some dust, and that's all, that's all good. That's fine. That's fine. Yep. That means you used it. Yep. So let's, uh, let's plug it in. I just want to make sure that it is going to work. So I do have a tester for my power supply itself. So this is a Dr. Power 2 from Thermaltake. So I can power this on just to see power comes good. We've got 5 volts, 12.2 volts, 3.3 volts, 11.5 volts, uh, which is the negative 12 volt. Right. And 5 volt again, and it says that power is good. So... We're good to go. So I went out, Bill, and I thought, okay, well, this, here's a great idea. What if I took the fact that this has 12 volts, 3.3 volts, 5 volts, snipped the cable, made some kind of circuit PCB that had a bunch of you know, connectors and things like that so that I could use this for uh, a new power supply for okay. my workbench. So I ordered the parts, which you have to buy in bulk, because i didn't have any of the parts yet so then uh so i got like a bag of connectors okay you got to buy them by the hundred i got like bags of all the different things that i would need to make this happen right and then this instead of going and buying a power supply yeah, because I want to. I want to tinker. I want to. Right. I want to say, hey, I made that myself. I did mm-hmm. that myself, and and I can be proud of that. And mm-hmm. and also, I wanted to make it so that I could, it, if the power supply died, I could just unplug the power supply and plug in a new power supply to it. There you go. That kind of idea. So after all that said and done, somehow, I mean, the the Facebook machine figured out what it was I was doing and put an ad up on my screen. <laughs> nice. And it took me, now I've created a hot link for you, cat5.tv slash ATX. And Bill, are you ready for this? <laughs> He's practically hiding it. I, I know. what's coming. <laughs> I'm going to show you, don't worry. Sweet. Sweet. So, thinking along the lines of what, what it is that I had intended on doing, this has an ATX input directly off of a power supply. It has a power switch to turn it on and off. Mm -hmm. Then it's got fuses for each voltage and individual power outputs for each voltage that is available on the power supply. The fuses are a nice bonus. It is an absolutely nice bonus. I hadn't even thought of that. Everything you need. That's, That's it. So I've got 
negative 12 volt, positive 12 volt, 5 volt, 3.3 volts. And you figure out the average of something like this, a power supply, and, yeah. and figure 25 Raspberry Pis, easy. Hmm. 10 Raspberry Pis, a couple of Pine 64s, we can do this, right? Uh, or just if you're tinkering and you want to you mess around, and I, w- I want to plug this in, and, and we're going to see what, uh, what happens here, Bill. Bzz. I haven't done this yet. Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> afraid to touch it. Who knows? Okay, so is it going to power on when I flip that switch? Fan started spinning. Light came on. So you've got your voltmeter on here. Now there's no load, so could that be... It's, it just shut off. Oh. Could we put a load on it? Will your voltmeter put a load on, uh, say, the 12 volt? Well, it's going to put a small load, which is a 12 volt here, isn't it? This guy. Yeah, positive 12. So let me, let me kill the switch and power on. It's not hmm. enough of a load, Bill. No. So I would have to have a load on this in order to get power coming off of it. I think it's a great idea. We'll work on it. We'll work on this. <laughs> not today. <laughs> but if I have... So if I have a load on this, I think that's probably what's going probably on Probably right. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing to pull. It is a cool device. We're going to be looking at this over the next little while. Um, it's going to save us having to buy one of those kits. It's only $10, mm-hmm. and it will work on any power supply. I'm going to let you know, Bill, what, uh, what happens when I put maybe a couple of Raspberry Pis on the 5 volt. Keeping in mind that this is not a transformer either, so this is okay. pulling directly from a good, solid right. power supply. Um, so if I'm getting power good off of this, which I am, then this is going to have clean power as well. That's one of the advantages to doing it this way. Plus then, if this dies, I can unplug it, plug in a new mm-hmm. power supply. So I like that. Cool. I like it. Cat5.tv slash ATX. Put a load on it, and I think you're <laughs> going to find that it's pretty cool. <laughs> I want to, uh, with you here, I'd like to do a little bit of assembly tonight, look at uh, a product that is sure. um, something for, for us to get excited about. We, Sasha and I, have looked at retro gaming in the past. Yes. And we love retro gaming. We've looked at single board computers. You and I have numerous chats about our various SBCs. So if we could combine the two into a form factor that is close to that of a Game Boy in a do-it-yourself package. That's what we're going to be looking at in just a couple moments' time. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be assembling the Odroid Go. We'll be right back. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. All right, we've got our Nintendo Game Boy, which is really just here just to 
Hey, the, the form factor is cool. We all mm-hmm. remember this. It's retro in its styling, let alone its video games. But what if we could actually take our passion for retro gaming and our passion for single board computers and DIY and build something like a Nintendo Game Boy? That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? It would be spectacular. Odroid celebrated their 10-year anniversary by creating such a gizmo, and they're available now. You can go to cat5.tv slash odroidgo. And we're going to hop over there, and Bill and I are, well, Bill is going to get his hands into the box and uh, do an unboxing. Do you want to head on over there? Sure. (laughs) Do, do, do. Are we going to assemble the... Oh, yeah, no, we're not going to assemble the uh, Lego version. We've got an actual retro Game Boy-style thing. This is the Odroid Go, folks, and Bill's going to get into the box for you. So here we have the Odroid Go. That's a neat little bubble wrap and instructions. Who who needs instructions? Yeah, we don't need that. We don't need that. Your power cable. Board. Various parts and pieces and your lithium-ion battery. So the Odroid Go, because it arrives like this, it's kind of a fun project. We can, I think this is going to be great for kids, DIY folks like ourselves that are just really into, mm-hmm. like, hey, let's get our hands dirty and get in there and, and do it. How hard do you think this is going to be to assemble, Bill? Do you think that it's possible that we could actually make this happen? 17 parts. I looked. I checked. You counted? <laughs> It's significantly smaller than a Game Boy. It I is. thought it was like it looks a lot like one in its styling, but let's pull a, a, an old retro Game Boy here from the early 80s and just compare size wise. There you go. So there's the Odroid Go case, which we're going to assemble, and an actual Game Boy. Well, this is cool because these instructions are how to use the emulators. Oh, okay. It's It's not how you put it together. doesn't tell you how to put it together, Bill. That doesn't help us at all. No, it doesn't. We're not at that stage yet. No, help me. Okay. I think you have to go online to the wiki. All right. So we're going to pretend that we went to the wiki because, hey, we're live, Bill. And we're guys. We're guys. I don't know what that means, to be honest with you. I think it doesn't mean I'm arrogant. (laughs) <laughs> did did you look at the instructions? I did not. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! We're gonna. This is gonna go terrible. Um, okay. So first thing that we need to do, Bill. Okay. This is the screen protector that's going to go on here. So you can feel that there's a bit of a bezel here. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going to go on there. First thing I want to do is just make sure that I've got a little bit of a grip on this so that I can remove it a little easier once it's assembled and pull the inside of this out. There we go. And see if I can get that off of the screen. See, you cheated. You actually read the instructions. I did read the instructions. Yes, sir. There we go. Okay. So I've got the inside out. Pull this off here. Now we want to be careful that, you know, this is tempered glass or whatever, and just be careful with how you handle that. We don't want to get any fingerprints on it. That's probably the key thing here, because you're going to have a lot of trouble getting them off if you do once it's assembled. So we just kind of push that in there. Make sure it's in nice and snug. So that is actually a piece of protective 
plastic or whatever it is for our screen. So that's the next step here, Bill. Want to pass me the uh, box cutters? Huh? Huh? Okay. Bill likes that because he always makes fun of me for my scissors. Okay. So again, I want to be very, very mindful to handle this on the outside so that I'm not getting fingerprints on the screen itself. So this is going to go this way. I see... Oh, the smudges are going to come off as soon as I remove that. That's good. And we'll put that in here. So just going to pop that in here. See the little clips there? And then carefully snap that in. Because I don't want to crack that screen. Absolutely not. So there we go. We're getting there. Okay. Buttons. You want to help with these guys? I can do that. All right. So you, you work at that. Bill's going to work at that. I'm going to fix the audio there because you guys have got an echo. Which shot was that, Sasha? The wide shot. When you switch over to, uh, to Bill and I. Yes. To the, you, to the product cam. That's the one yeah. I was telling you about. Right. Thanks, everybody. Chat room. There we are. That should fix it for you. And the chat on the screen needs to be restarted. Thank you. <laughs> We're fraught with peril tonight. Also. <laughs> yeah. The good thing about the A and the B buttons, they're, they're keyed. So you can't put them in the wrong spot. That's nice. Oh, yeah, that's good. So this is, it's a very, very simple project. I mean, I was, I really wanted to be able to put this together yeah. on the show. So you see you have the A and the B buttons. Yep. But there are these plastic tabs here. Oh, okay. These are closer together on oh, the A than on uh, the B. So they smart. cannot put them in the very wrong spot. Very smart. That's good. Okay, so we're going to get these guys here, the rubberized backings. Those switches are just going to go in there as well. What do you have there? Oh, that's the side power switch. That's the power okay. switch, yeah. It's gonna There's some uh, depending on those where the, guys. The board goes. There's another one there. It takes two, folks. I'm actually just. There you go. Where are these? Uh, ups, upside down, other way. Turn it around the other way. There yep. you go. And that's that's also keyed. Look at that. So this is something that. Uh, I think I could, it could do with my young boys, which would be absolutely a lot of fun for them. My daughter is is she's not as keen on the uh, electronics and stuff. I'd love to uh, include her in it as well, but she'll play the games for sure. <laughs> okay, that we don't need yet. Okay, so next up, we've got the circuit board, which we're going to carefully place on top here. Like that. That's just going to line up with the screw holes. Do we put the switch in at that time? I think we'll screw it in. Will it stay in right away? Oh, yeah, I guess so. 
I think the switch needs to capture the the right. slide needs to capture the switch. Yeah. Okay, cool. Alright, I got some screwdrivers here for us. We're well prepared tonight. This is where it gets fun with my band-aids on my fingers <laughs> and bleeding like crazy. Oh yeah? Yeah. My cuticles the dry Canadian air. You know? <laughs> it's cold. It's been cold. Yeah. Alright, where are the screw holes? Let's get this. Well, gotta get it to line up. There we go. Is this magnetic? Of course not. Of course not. Bill, do you want me to get them started for you? Hey? <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see us or not. I'll tell you what. You start with that one. Okay. All right. Here we go. You're so tiny. Yeah. All right. Screw holes are labeled, Bill. You've got a better screwdriver. I, I can hear you messing around in the... What do you got? <laughs> i got my own screwdriver. Oh, man. With, with a oh, you've put a magnet on the side of it. Yeah. So I that can't, makes it magnetic. I can't hold That's these. Who, what, what, what grown man can hold those screws? I don't know, right? Okay. There. I, just, I got it started for you. Oh, it's special. See? That's a smart idea. When you get up here, get this one. And if I didn't shake so much, I'd be all right. <laughs> um, what? We want to make sure, because that one that you just put in is going to actually be a chassis screw. So watch the, uh, I think there's labels on there. I saw that uh, show which ones are the internal screws versus the uh, chassis screws. Okay. So yeah, that'll be that one. You guys see what I'm talking about? I'll show you. Brilliant. Yeah, so we don't want any of these screws along mm -hmm. the outer edge to go on to right. Three. Should be one over here. Four. Okay. Give these a little bit of a And tight. five. The first one they were Hey. All right. So it's starting to feel like a Game Boy. <gasps> that looks awesome. Isn't that sweet? Okay. <laughs> and this one. Does the speaker need to go in before the circuit board is screwed down? Um, not before the circuit board is screwed down, but before we cut, put the backing on it. Definitely. Okay. So we can do that. Uh, looks like that's the next thing. I'm surprised that this is as quick and easy as it is. Like, we're doing this live on the air, and uh, it's nice and simple. Are you, are you opping over there, Sash? Sorry. I am. Okay. I can switch to the faces. Oh, I just did. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is the speaker. There we go. Goes into the jack marked speaker. speaker. Yeah, it actually says speaker, folks. There you go. You saw that, right? Yeah, I don't know if they did. I don't know. Um, what what uh, kind of retro gaming era would you call your own, Bill? Is it like the NES or... 2600. Yeah, Atari. Yes, cool. I owned a 2600. 
this this actually will emulate the Atari 2600, 7800. Um, so it's not just a Game Boy. So when I say Game Boy, I mean, it really has that form factor, but it's not just Game Boy emulation. It also has Game Boy Color. It's got Game Gear. Can I be so... Um, can I actually plug in the power right now and trust that we've got everything correct? So the only thing, I guess, is the screen. we just got to plug in that screen. Right. So right in there. I also had Pong. Pong. The original. How was that played? Like on... The there was a... ColecoVision? Oh, no. It was a line down the middle of your screen. There were two... Oh. Rectangles on each side and a dot that went back and forth. Did and yours that was have? The entire did game. you have to stick something to the TV? No. I even had that where you had to stick a suction cup to the side of the TV, and it would flash to communicate with it using some kind of lighting. So it would. You're younger than I am. How did you manage that? I, it's just <laughs> what I had. It's what I had. All right. I think that's it. Should we power it up before? Uh, well, this. These pins here allow us to do like GPIO programming and things okay. like that. So we don't need those in there for day-to-day um, -day usage. Um, it looks good. There we go. I've put the battery so that I don't see the sticker from the front. I think it looks better that way. It's cleaner. Yeah. All right, should we do the, uh, the case? Make sure the battery cable is not blocking the screw port, which I've done. screen let's go i can do some here too yeah let's, let's, let's make it happen let's night out let's do the corners bill and then uh we can fire it up and see if it works so this is the sd card slot here um i wasn't sure when i looked at the pictures whether i was going to be able to ac actually access the sd card slot while it was together i wasn't sure if it was like covered by the plastic i had to install the sd card but it does look like it's something that you can plug Android in. does a good job of, of doing that. Yeah. It's a nice-looking nice looking system. I think that's enough to, to get it rocking. That's it, folks. So in that amount of time, we've put this together. It's the Odroid Go from cat5.tv slash Odroid Go. And are we ready to fire it up? Never done this, so... Oh! 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 We have ignition. Just like that. Okay. So you said 2600. We've got Sega Master System, Game Gear, ColecoVision. I don't seem to have 2600 on here, Bill. Well, so, I do have an, an NES as well. Okay, so let's try NES. And a so Game Boy. You can, you can add firmwares and everything. Now, on this SD card, I've simply imported a couple of ROMs. So, what, uh, any particular game? Bubble Bobble. Dr. Mario, that Dr. was Dr. Mario. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness, my sister played Dr. that Dr. Mario, all the time. start... Oh, it puts on the screen what these buttons do. I tell you, Oldroid right? does a good job, and nice and ROMs are nice. Okay. <gasps> no way. <laughs> Same music. You guys see this? Oh my god! No, you took it out of the screen. We're all right. That is too cool. Oh, there we go. Now I got it, Bill. <laughs> Unreal. Try this. I... Wait a minute. Oh, dear. I'm going to lose. <laughs> ha! 
It plays just like it, eh? Just like it. That is fantastic. Folks, check out cat5.tv slash odroidgo. Wow. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna Awesome. Amazing. So of course it's an emulator of these retro kind of classics that are handheld, so but NES as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did see Atari twenty six hundred. Uh, Game Gear, all those kind of Game Gear. Like, that's awesome. So check it out, cat5.tv slash odroidgo. And uh, we're going to head over to the newsroom. Sasha's waiting for us. Thanks, Ravi. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Raspberry Pi's new TV add-on is out, but there's a catch for users in Canada and the United States. Running a VMware server virtualization product? It's time to check for patches as a bug in the video system allows malicious code in VMs to leap out of their guest OS and execute code on the hosting server. Eight D-Link router variants are vulnerable to a complete ownage via a combination of security blunders and only two are going to get patched. Hard Kernel has unveiled the Odroid H2, the first hacker board with an Intel Gemini Lake system on a chip. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category 5.TV Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. Jeff Weston. Yeah, man. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Raspberry Pi's new TV add-on is out, but there's a catch for users in Canada and the U.S. If you've got a Raspberry Pi, you can now attach a new Raspberry Pi TV add-on to the single-board computer and then plug it into your home antenna to receive and decode digital TV streams. Users can then watch TV using a Raspberry Pi or set it up so that the Pi streams TV content to any computer or mobile device on the same network as the TV equipped Raspberry Pi. The Raspberry Pi TV hat has the same design as the Raspberry Zero with the addition of an aerial adapter to plug into a TV antenna. The TV hat costs just $20 and can be attached to any Raspberry Pi board with a 40-pin GPIO, even the Pi Zero. There's a catch for Raspberry Pi owners in Canada and the U.S., though. Because of the hat's built-in DVB-T2 tuner, while the format has been widely deployed in Europe, Russia, and the Asia-Pacific, it doesn't work here. Due to this issue and for compliance reasons, at the moment, the TV hat is only being offered in Europe. However, the Raspberry Pi Foundation says that compliance work is underway to open other dvb T2 regions. I'm so disappointed that it's not available here. Oh, I know. It's like, like, here is this amazing thing that exists, but not for you. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Not allowed to use it. Sorry, North American market. You're out of luck. 
The first thing I did is, as soon as I heard the announcement that this was on the market, mm-hmm. is I started looking for a United States or Canada vendor that had it, and nobody has it. So I actually messaged you and I said, yes. "Can you find it in the states?" Yes. And you know, yeah. you, and and it was you that and I searched figured this and, out. And then I oh. went online and it said, "By the way, Robbie, yeah, doesn't work here." It's weird. It's a big market. Like yeah. you think yeah. that they would have a way, but I guess it's compliance. What we is have it? a different standard over here for television. So oh. the signal is different. Yeah, it's totally so it just different. wouldn't work here. AT- ATSC, I believe, is what we have. We okay. nothing. If you look at the map on one of the sites. Right. It shows blue all over the all over Europe and Asia and everything, and we're yeah. a diff- totally different color over here. I didn't like, even sorry. like because TV is yeah. TV to me, no. right? You just turn it on nope. and it works. I know that their plugs are different, but that has nothing yeah. to do with it, does it? No, not necessarily. No. But no. this is digital aerial <laughs> mm-hmm. broadcast. Right. So um, you think about um, like the local news broadcasts and things like that. They actually right. they still have a tower and they still broadcast it and they broadcast digitally now so the quality right. is actually quite a lot better than we remember with bush cable back in the day. Right. But um, you've got to be able to have a you've got to have a tuner to receive it, which okay. our TVs don't include tuners anymore. No. I don't I don't think I've seen one that has a tuner anymore. So um, so you can't just plug an antenna into it and start watching TV. Right. Oh, Raspberry Pi. So close and yet so far away. <laughs> all of my TV broadcasts are, uh, like all of my TV watching happens on Netflix, mm-hmm. internet. It's all internet based. Right. So whether it be Netflix or Prime or right. Plex Media Server, things like that. Yeah. It's all on the network. Yes. I'm thinking of Plex Media Server. It would have been a great thing for me to be able to get my hands on one of these and yeah. set it up so that it works with Plex Pi, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So the, right. the Debian distro for Raspberry Pi that lets people use Plex Media Server. And we've looked at it on the show. Yeah. But I can't do that because I can't get one here. And even if I did, it wouldn't but work. It wouldn't work. <laughs> so will it, um, will it kind of stimmy the, the growth of the software development? Well, I would think. The I mean, American I, and Canadian users right. can't get them. Yeah, in my mind, that's like half the market. Like half is Europe, and then half is us. Right, fifty mm-hmm. percent of us can't use it. <laughs> right, we're on the wrong side of the ocean today. Turns out. And BP Nine just mentioned in the chat room is uh, US TV it was NTSC and and right, Europe yeah. is PAL. So that's why DVDs are incompatible. Mm. I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Learning a lot of things now about the differences. <laughs> Wow. Very disappointing. If you have one, though, if you're in Europe and you have um, the pie hat for the uh, TV broadcasting, we'd love to hear how it works and yeah. uh, love to, to hear more. I'm just disappointed that I can't develop for it because right. we can't get it or use it here in Canada. When you let us know how it works, please do not gloat too much. Yeah, try not to. <laughs> try not to. <laughs> Running a VMware server virtualization product? It's time to check for patches as a bug in the video system allows malicious code in VMs to leap out of their guest OS and execute code on the hosting server. Get busy, VMware admins and users. The virtualization Virtuoso has patched a programming blunder in ESXi, Workstation Pro, and Player, and Fusion and Fusion Pro products that can be exploited by malicious code to jump from guest OS to host machine. The bug has been designed designated CVE 2018-6974. The out-of-bounds read is present in the product's SVGA video device emulation and, if exploited, allows software within a guest operating system to 
execute code on the host machine. In other words, a hypervisor guest escape. That's enough of a privilege ex escalation to get the, big the bug rated critical across most of the affected products. The vulnerable versions include ESXi 6.0, 6.5, and 6.7, Workstations 14, and Fusion 10. If you run one of these products, be sure to patch to secure the exploit. I'm always hearing about all the various exploits, but this is a, a bad thing to have happen if you've got a virtualization hypervisor, which a lot of us... A lot of people do. ...do now. So that is when people can... Okay, tell me what that is before I guess what it is. <laughs> a hypervisor. So with virtualization technology, you can have one computer running all kinds of computers inside of it, basically. That's, that's like so a... So it's... Okay, so it's like a... Okay. So back in the day, so if we wanted to have a file server, mm -hmm. it was a physical box on the rack. Right. And then we wanted to have a web server. Another physical box on the rack. Okay. And then we want to have a back, whatever. And you're just always adding more hardware. Mm -hmm. And it's using a lot of right. electricity. It's noisy. It generates heat. So you've got to cool the room. It costs a lot of money to operate. And you've got the more hardware you have, the more chances of crash. Crash. Like right. if you have 10 systems, you've got one in 10 could crash versus one system. Maybe there's less chance of having it mm -hmm. fail. So virtualization lets you have many different servers in one physical unit. Okay, so then this exploit is actually a doozy. A, a big doozy. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of places use VMware. I think the, the ESXIs are already patched. You just got to do it. You've got to run the patch, though. I know. If you don't run I the know. patch, then the you're patch is, but exploitable. It and I think who this really could impact, Bill, mm -hmm. it probably doesn't impact me, probably doesn't impact you in such a way that I, uh, my virtualization hypervisor, mm -hmm. I'm using it for my own things. Mm -hmm. I have my own servers and things like that, and they're all internal. Now, okay. if it was a web server mm -hmm. and somebody were able to exploit that web server and then break out of the virtual appliance and break into the host operating system, now you've got yeah. a severe issue. Or if you're renting out, say you're a web host and you're sharing server capacity by mm -hmm. giving virtual servers to your customers mm -hmm. right and one of those customers had malicious purposes and broke out of the virtual appliance and now they've got access to the host which presumably <sighs> means they have access to other virtual appliances and all kinds of private stuff that they're not meant to have access to right and mm. it just snowballs from there good oh. yeah so just probably patch your servers what's i'm saying right. that sasha's mic died during her my mic story. died did it? it came back but it oh it, it, it dropped out for about 15, 20 seconds. Oh, did it really? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, there we have it. Check your levels uh, just to be sure. I have two bars. How many do you have? Three. three. You got three. So. I didn't step on it. Let us know in uh, Discord if we have any more, uh, any more issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you've got the right thing. Cool. You're number one? Yes. Just making sure. Live TV. There we go. All right, let us know in, uh, in Discord, and we apologize for any technical issues that we experienced tonight. All right. 
D-Link router variants are vulnerable to complete ownage via a combination of security blunders and only two are going to get patched. Despite insisting patches would be released four months, ago, four months from now, D-Link hasn't addressed the issue reported in May of this year. So the security researcher who found them is releasing them to the public. That spells danger for D-Link device users. For some of the affected devices, there will not be patches. The vulnerable units are all in D-Link's DWR range. The DWR 116, 140, 512, 640, 712, 912, 921, and DWR 111. Most of these will be left unpatched because D-Link has said that they're end of life. Only DWR 116 and 111 would be fixed. The full compromise of these devices arises from a cascade of several vulnerabilities. They require access to the device's web-based settings panel, either on the local network or from the internet, depending on the configuration. Data that can be accessed by the attacker include password files and guess what? Yes, there are passwords stored in plain text. The administrative password can be found in clear text form in a temporary file. The exploit also allows an attacker the ability to log into the router to inject shell commands into the router's HTTP web server. Keep an eye out for patches if they ever turn up. You may want to turn to a new firmware or even replace your router if one doesn't exist. Again. Once again, <laughs> once again, we've got uh, another, yet another exploit. We, we're seeing this with routers. But yeah. passwords in plain text. Right. So if, if, a if a compromising attack is able to break into this router, they can get access to those passwords, mm -hmm. have administrator access. Mm -hmm. Then, and I always say it with a router, what's the first thing that someone can do? They can open up port 3389 mm -hmm. and have remote desktop access to any of the computers on your network. They, exactly. can see, they can see every computer on your network because it's presumably got the DHCP table in the router, right. which is where all your IP addresses are. So... Are, we can compromise everything. Are most people, or are many people, running end-of-life D-Link routers? Yeah. Or would you, yeah. Yeah. So. A lot of people, if, if it works, they, they ignore it. They put it in and forget about it. Right. And the so. firmware doesn't get updated if the manufacturer doesn't update the firmware. Right. And um, they're only considering two of these routers to even be worth paying attention to, right? So. Well, the, some of them are older, so they're not going to patch them anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you can't you can't buy them new. So, so. So I wonder if looking at something like DDWRT or Tomato firmware might be mm -hmm. an option. So that's an option. Yeah, you can look at um, third-party open-source uh, firmwares. So, okay. like my router here runs DDWRT, mm -hmm. so I can continually keep up to date with the latest firmware because the router itself, the firmware that came with it, is no longer supported. So I don't run that firmware. Right. But, but the problem is, how many home users, like just generic yeah. home users, I mean, they, like non-techie, maybe not our viewers, but just a regular home user, how mm -hmm. many of us know how to flash a firmware or even update our router? Yeah. So that's where it comes down to, hey, if yours is old and not supported, maybe you might want to just replace it. I would think so. Unless like, it wouldn't even be on your radar. Like, you, I don't think it... Like, I wouldn't think 
about something like this. No, and you think right? of the hierarchy of your network. Mm -hmm. So when I'm on my, my home Wi-Fi and I'm on my home network accessing things, mm -hmm. I feel safe because I'm in my network. Yeah. Now, take the device that connects that network to the internet and remove all security from it and make it so that this person who you don't know who they are has access to right. my personal space as right. far as networking goes. All my files, my printers, yeah. my packets, mm -hmm. everything. So if you have one, call your niece or your nephew or whoever set up your network at home and yeah, <laughs> update go. it. Exactly. <laughs> Good idea. Good idea. Wow. Hard Kernel has unveiled the Odroid H2, the first hacker board with an Intel Gemini Lake system on a chip. The Ubuntu 18.10 driven single board computer will ship with a two SATA 3.0 ports, two gigabyte Ethernet ports, HDMI, and DisplayPort. DisplayPort, pardon me, four USB ports. And if that's not impressive enough for you, it has an M. Dot two slot for an NVMe storage. When the Odroid H2 goes on sale in November at a price that will be higher than $100, Hard Kernel will join a small group of vendors that have launched a community-backed x86-based SBC. The Odroid project has hoped to, had hoped to be launching its second or third gen x86 board by now. In 2015, the project started working on an Odroid H SBC. However, there were problems with RAM sourcing and the overall cost of manufacturing was too high. In 2016, the company built an Odroid H1 based on an Intel Braswell Celeron N3160. The board was successfully used in a dedicated project, but Hardkernel decided not to release it publicly due to RAM shortages and concerns that the processor was no longer competitive. They considered an AMD Ryzen 5 2500U, but it was too expensive. Then Intel announced Gemini Lake at the end of last year, which seemed to be just right. Hardkernel says it was slower than Ryzen, but much faster than Intel Apollo Lake, and the price was reasonable. One argument for x86 hacker boards is that Linux drivers tend to work more reliable than on a typical ARM board. The downsides are high price and high power consumption. However, the Odroid project is claiming a reasonable 14-watt consumption consumption under CPU stress and a 4-watt idle. Earlier this year, Hardkernel had another false start with an Odroid N1 board, once again due to RAM sourcing issues. With the Odroid H2 launch set for only a few weeks away, we're confident that the third time around the x86 Marigold round will be the charm. Hardkernel may need to work on its supply chain management, but it tends to make high-quality, well-supported boards backed up by a thriving community. The Odroid H2 will ship with Ubuntu 18.10, which was just released last week. Another great board from Odroid. Yeah. Looking forward to this one. This I'm is on the waiting list. Are you? <gasps> How did you get on the waiting list? <laughs> Have your people call my people. Wow. Yeah, and we were talking before the show about Hard Kernel's kind of distribution mm -hmm. of the Odroid products. It can be a little bit, you get on a waiting list. Right. Uh, because, well, you know more. You, how, I mean, things take time to yeah. get here from South Korea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Depends on who's rowing the boat. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they they ship. They they do schedule shipping. They don't they don't ship daily. I don't mm. think they'll do mass shippings. So, so they wait until so much is sold. Right. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. And then I don't and think that's good. Some of them do that. I doubt that they'll have to wait long before some of those are. No, I sold. think this one's going to be big. I think. Yeah, and and when a new product like this comes out, it's yeah. like all of the supply is gone in right. the first couple of days. And I right. think that, and that's, we even saw that with the Odroid Go. It was gone in the first mm-hmm. little while. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't get one. The XU4 did that as well. Yeah. And then yeah. they restock and they remanufacture right. more. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how this one goes. But um, what has you excited about this one? I, I, I like the fact that it's Intel. I mean, trying to get some of these single board con- uh, computers with uh, the OSs for them. You don't have the. You, sometimes there's just one guy writing, rejigging the software. No. no yeah. Never. It's not a huge. I like your shirt, by the way. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's just one guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, and and um, and that's not just the operating system, mm-hmm. right? But because you've got to get all the drivers to work. Drivers and other supplementary right. software. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't compile well on ARM. Right. I have trouble with some programs that I just, you know, because of dependencies and things like that, it's exactly. really hard to get them to compile on a Raspberry Pi or exactly. an XU4. So this opens that way up. Mm-hmm. Way up. Mm-hmm. You, you, you load just about anything on this thing. It's an x86 right. compatible computer. Mm-hmm. So, um, and little tiny square. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be the best unboxing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. (laughs) I'm Robbie. I'm Bill. <laughs> um, just quickly, according to CoinGecko, here's what the crypto market is looking like at 1,700 hours uh, as of uh, Wednesday, October 24th, when we recorded the show. Uh, Bitcoin uh, lost $138.62 US uh, at $6,526.06. Uh, Litecoin, $52.78, so it's down as well, a couple bucks almost. Ethereum went down to 204.20. Uh, Monero, 106.07 U.S. dollars. Stellite is, um, well, it, uh, we don't seem to have numbers on Stellite, oh. unfortunately, this week. Turtlecoin is the one coin that actually got a little bit of a gain, but it's such a minute <laughs> fraction. I mean, we're talking 0.06 ten thousandths of a cent. Growth is growth. There Yay, you go. Turtlecoin. It's on its way up. It is now worth 0.38 ten thousandths of a cent. Nice. <laughs> Way to go, little guy. <laughs> Need a couple of billion of those. To- yeah, a couple billion. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week, Bill. It's been a pleasure having oh, you here, my man. It's been a blast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolute blast. Thank you. And uh, you're going to come back? Is this yes. uh, a regular thing? You, What's, just, uh, you just have to send me an invite. There you go. I don't right. presume anything. So, <laughs> there you go. You're officially invited back. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for being here, Sasha. Nice to see you as well, and we'll see you again next week. Take care, everybody.